and welcome to the Betsy Boss Podcast. Welcome back. We are back here. It is just beginning to be winter and we can hardly believe it, but it's actually been just about a year, a little over a year since the Idaho University That's, murder. It's crazy because I know like we've talked about it and like when it happened, it was just such like a point of focus and I can't believe it's a year later like these students some of them would have graduated like it just it's awful it's so sad and if you're a creep like me a postmodern creep you still might be looking (laughs) at the good old Jasmine Kernodles the sister of Zana Kernodal her social media updates and it's crazy I mean she's I think getting ready to graduate at this point and well, it's it's really scary and sad and all this time's oh. gone by. And I think we were supposed to get a little bit more of a resolution in June of this year. But yeah. then things just kept getting pushed, right? Well, I think he, uh, Brian Koberger, if I remember, he waived his right to a speedy trial to allow review of like all the evidence, all the documentation, all that stuff, which on his side, like it's smart, but it is kind of like, oh, especially the families are looking for resolution and... Just not getting it. Oh, it's so It's going to be a long road. Well, and what's really scary is you might remember the coincidence because the Moscow home where the University of Idaho oh, yes. students were killed was actually number 1122 King Road. And so it was just a lot of kind of weird patterns here, especially, you know, it was... 1112 technically it was the evening of 11 12 oh, 22 and 11 22 even think more about generally, that yeah yeah when, when mm. the murder happened and it went into 11 13 so we're we're really coming to the year mark and again just it's weird that it was november the month of and the year exactly yeah. and then 11 22 And you were telling me that they kept the house open to do further inspections of the different evidence. Yeah, I forget what the actual, like, catalyst was, but they were going to fully, like, demolish it, whatever. And then there was something that happened where it was, like, further evidence or or something where they, thankfully, which I thought it was stupid for them to, like, just level the All right, demolish it, like... Keep it. It's awful, but like you want justice. That's the final like goal for everyone here. Um, it had been boarded up though, and I think actually it was either Halloween or the day before this year they went back in, which again is like create the lore of like creepiness. Yes. Um, but uh, my understanding too though is if they were to demolish it now, I think they've gone in and done like all the tech and stuff they have, they've done like a 3D scan where they've created, you know, like the imaging from inside where essentially you could put yourself inside the house. But at the end of the day, I don't know, there's something about like if they took the jury there, I just feel like it's a different experience than just seeing it, you know, even if you had like the VR, like the – top of the end like type of thing to put you in there it's just not the same as being in the actual house so no it's so true it's such a more like clinical experience too like we even did some of the walkthroughs and again this is a totally different experience than like top of the line vr or what have you the technology that these people are working with but like even what we did on youtube 
was very clinical. It helped us a lot to it get did. an understanding yeah. of the layout of things because the house, like we talked about, is just very oddly well, that's situated. The thing too, yeah. It's trying to convey that and like your brain to like register that. I don't know. It just doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's better to keep it if they can. Well, yeah. And like, what's the rush in destroying it? Like, yeah. I understand like yeah. this place is kind of cursed at this point and you just want to level it to the ground. I get it. Uh, absolutely. But by the same token, it's also like, all right, what's the rush? Why do we want to destroy this house full of evidence? And not for nothing. I mean, I'm sure this has nothing to do with it because the place has been scrubbed from top to bottom. But... It's freaking freezing out there. Oh, I just wonder. True. I feel like stuff is kind of frozen in time in there. Like, yeah, stuff is not going bad or like, I, I don't <laughs> it's know. True. It's cold. It's almost cold like a big more than bio freezer, like, right? I don't know. It To me, it just is like, like what you're saying. Like, why would you, what's the rush to like demolish it? Like other cases, like the staircase with uh, Michael Peterson and whatnot, like, Ooh, even more eerie because people were living in that house, Ugh. but they like walled off the staircase, kept it with all the blood evidence and all that stuff. Not even saying they have to do that, but just like the layout of the house. I don't know. I just think it there's benefits and the end goal, like keep that end goal in mind of getting justice. Once they convict someone, knock it down. Fine. Absolutely. Like, you know, done. Ugh. But yeah. like, I, I just don't know why you'd want to, knock down your best evidence exactly especially i don't know like you said i mean there's just no substitute for going through in person doing a real walkthrough and seeing how stuff is laid out how it feels actually walking through the house no vr is ever going to take the place of that experience and they're probably not going to do vr it's going to be like a very high quality model but like i'm even thinking to the murdoch trial they took jurors there to walk the area that uh, of the crime scene where the bodies were. And, like, in my opinion, they probably got it right. I don't know. But I just think there's benefits to kind of preserving that. And I don't think there's a downside to keeping, you know, that. keeping it. Yeah, and you don't have to necessarily use it just because it's there. But yeah. isn't it better to have it and not need it? than Nobody's going to want to live there, I would assume. Oh, like, that's for sure. Ugh. If they didn't already dislike it just because of the crazy layout, then ugh. they definitely aren't going to want to live there now that it's been a quadruple yeah. murder. But we did obviously just want to say that for the record that the anniversary has passed of 11-13 of the killing. It did happen technically the evening of 11-12 into the morning of 11:13 when Mr. Koberger went into the home at 11:22 allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> King just got to keep it there. Yeah, you got to stay allegedly and the bodies of the students were found. Ethan Chapin, Maddie Mogan, Zana Kernodal and Kaylee Gonzalez. Just the crew, the whole group there and Oh, I just I think we're all waiting for a little bit more information on this because it just yeah. feels so unsettled at this time. And even though we know like, OK, 99 percent, it's this Brian Koberger guy, or at least in my opinion, it's pretty darn clear. I agree. I agree. But it's just I don't know. There's missing pieces and we don't know. Like there's other stuff out there that we don't know. So who knows? Like Who knows? Yeah. So that's an exciting 
kind of sad milestone that it's been a whole year. I can't even believe. <sighs> yeah, it's awful. It's really sad. And then another milestone that we're going to be passing that I think we're both very excited for. When this episode comes out, it will be the month of December. Kind of hard to believe. But, oh, it's oh, crazy. It's crazy. The time's going by very quickly. But th- at the end of the month, in a few short weeks, Gypsy Rose will be released from prison. I think it's the crazy. official date is the 28th of December. Yeah, I think so. And we just, I mean, couldn't be more excited. We talked about it last episode. We couldn't be bigger fans of that sounds bad but i supporters supporters yeah Yeah. of her plight and her experience and hoping for success and like yeah yeah all the best and a fresh start i mean talk about somebody who just was given a really unfair disadvantage in life and who deserves kind of a new beginning speaking of munchausen by proxy or mothers who suck speaking of yeah other similar mothers who just are not great at being parents, maybe never should have been parents from the mm, beginning. Very true. Who Our topic today has been heating up a ton over the past couple months, and it's actually good. We had planned to do it a little bit ago, but more information has come to light since we first started talking about it between then and now, and it's just really very interesting. We today are talking about eight Yes, Ruby Frankie, Jody Hildebrandt, and the uh, eight passengers, the whole controversy, connections, all that stuff. And just to say up front, this will probably be a multi-part episode, and I assume, because this is kind of like ongoing, and I think there's going to be a lot coming out probably in the new year, um, this will be something that we will cover ongoing. That's a great way to, great way to put it and to prepare everybody, because I think not only is this just there's a ton of information but it's also unfolding more it as is. time goes on and there's just there's a lot of information out there and uh, a lot put out there in the first place by these people that's because crazy <laughs> it's that's the craziest thing is these people were social media stars they were out there using social media to sort of promote their way of life and to show off their way of life and because of that we just have so much more information than we would normally have and you kind of can't feel bad for the people because they put it out there in the first place and I think this is probably it's funny because in law school I feel like especially when like applying for the different journals and whatnot looking for a topic I feel like this is something that is untapped or like very cutting edge where there's not a lot of laws and I think we will get to something there is one law that has been passed in Illinois actually I think it was this year but like this area is and I hate the term but it's the the wild wild west type of thing um where it's unregulated and like this is the epitome of the damage that you can do to your children by just like making your livelihood online exploiting your children and like when your mentality just goes like south very quickly. So so true. It's a an example, a bad example, but I think it's an example that people need to know about and learn from and do better from. <laughs> so I think this first episode out of who knows how many is going to be a lot of stage setting. Maybe eight. Maybe, <laughs> maybe eight passengers <laughs> no. of episodes. And, you know, we're just going to go into it with a full description of everything and the people involved so that you can get a good idea of what was going on before we 
kind of get into what they did wrong and what we think happened. Yeah, and I think this background is really crucial because in all honesty, this year has been very interesting for people with a religious Mormon background and like the Lori Vallow case. There was a crazy one recently where this person took their son thinking he was like a Christ something, like kidnapped him took him up to Canada like what? something psycho oh my god um, bad time to be religious it's not well especially mormon yeah i think it's very telling of the times and i think it's just a topic not only the like online kind of um presence but also just religiosity as well you know it's kind of come with the new generation to a head or just kind of what the the younger generations believe and this almost feels like a divide like i don't know where it goes to an extreme and it it'd be interesting as millennials to see if there's any anyone i'm sure there will be but like from our generation i feel like this from my perspective is something that like the generations before us it's like oh well of course they latched on to this and it's like they're having troubles in their lives and they latch on to this extreme religion like millennials won't do that like they did but I don't know. I, I I think at the end of the day, it's a good lesson to learn and a good. It'll be interesting to see as the time goes forward, who else, what other generations kind of latch onto this religious meaning in their lives when all else sort of fails. So let's start out by telling you about the family. We have Ruby, who was born in 1982. She is the oldest of five children. And then, of course, we have Kevin, who was born in 1978, so a little bit of an older man by four years. He was born to older parents, and he's on the younger end of his siblings. And both of these two glorious people were brought up in Utah in very stereotypical Mormon families. So stereotypical, in fact. I was going to say, I feel like this is like the prime, definitely the primer for this story here. Absolutely. They met the two at Brigham Young University. Oh, you mean they didn't meet at uh, at Atheist University? Exactly at There's No God College. So Ruby was in college solely to get her MRS degree, y'all. Okay, she went openly pursuing a husband. She wanted to find a guy who was wealthy, who was in a career that would take him far and make him a lot of money. And Ruby actually was previously engaged in the style of the Mormon church to get engaged very early in life. She was engaged after senior year of high school. Intense. Very. And so she got married super duper young in the year 2000. So she would have been only 18 years old. Yeah, I don't think she ever, I don't think she ended up finishing her college education. And so she got that MRS though. So after that, they, again, continued on with the Mormon stereotype. They very quickly started a family. Again, the eight passengers, six children all together, so the eight total family members. And it's crazy to me. She had children all about two years apart. So at this point that we're talking about them now, currently, they range in age from 10 to 20 years old, which... Like, I cannot imagine my Being siblings pregnant. and myself. We've got like, well, and she had multiple miscarriages too. Like, it just, 
it's insane to me. And I can only imagine, I don't think we really go into this, but like that probably contributed to like her mental health and like, I can only imagine her body and everything. Oh, like, that's I know. very difficult. Especially, which I think we're going to get into later. Somebody who may or may not have really wanted children all that much. Whether she'll admit it or not, like, I don't know. I think for most people, you can kind of spot her and spot someone that, like, at the end of the day, did not really want the life she had, but, like, felt kind of the pressure. But anyway, she had six children. And just up front, we are going to say we're going to use initials for the children that are still minors. Um, the other children that are adults now, we will use their full names or at least their first names. So to give you a rundown of the six children she had, her first child is Sherry. She's 20 years old. Chad, he's 18. AF is 16. JF is 14. RF is 12. And EF is 10. And we'll get into it. Like there are clear examples and it's kind of crazy because the examples are things she uploaded, so God only knows what went on behind the scenes that she hasn't talked about, hasn't uploaded. So it's it's clear, like, it's clear this has been difficult, which, like, nobody would fault her. Like, that is very challenging. Oh, absolutely. Even if you brought it on yourself, which right. she did. Yeah. But, you know, it's still a lot, especially, like you said, for somebody who may or may not have really wanted mm-hmm. this life. So Kevin, good old Kevin, the sturdy husband, eventually becomes tenured at BYU in engineering. And just a little insight into kind of the Mormon mindset here. Ruby very frequently would refer to the time that Kevin was in grad school in Washington State as, quote unquote, when we were in grad school. And this hmm. a personal preference, but I'm not a big fan of the whole. We're pregnant. Yep, yep. I was just going to say. A I'm classic. Just... Yeah, personal preference. Just don't n- love it. Yeah, He was in grad fan. school. You weren't. Like, where are you getting that? I don't know. It's just a very odd turn of phrase But I think it's me. probably very common, though. I, yeah, I assume if you're so, from other like, things, like this kind of homemaker, Mormon kind of mindset where it's like, we're a unit and that's it yeah well and exactly i mean she was home raising the kids but she was quote unquote in grad school with kevin right so it's just it's a very interesting thing it's an odd turn of phrase but it should just go to show everybody how much of a unit they were and how much she thought of them as being intertwined and her purpose is at home with the kids his purpose is out there getting that money it's interesting you say that too because i feel like I feel like that's going to be the crux of a lot of things when this goes to trial as far as how much did Kevin know? How much was he involved? Like, you know, we'll get to it, but it'll make sense. Like, how much of a unit were they? Right. We will see. So when Kevin became a, a professor at BYU, but this was prior to his tenure, so he's still kind of like struggling, you know, kind of trying to get along with all these kids. Um, the family moved to a very modest, like, but comfortable home in Springville, Utah. Ruby's younger sister, and this is where it all begins, Ellie Meekum, started a YouTube channel with her husband, Jared, in 2011. And think back to then, like, YouTube was like... Ooh, YouTube was everything. But it was like, for people actually making a living off of it, it was like... That was very new. That was yeah. like ground floor getting in at that point. 
this was obviously like cutting edge years of YouTube. No one thought it was like an easy moneymaker career. Like I feel like, and we don't have kids, but like, I feel like kids nowadays look at things and are like, I want to be a YouTube influence, like right. creator or something like that. And it's just, it's crazy because that wasn't can, a thing. Back it then. wasn't. And it, but like at this time, like they're at the very forefront of this and they're making millions by like getting in right at the beginning. So eventually Ruby started her channel, eight passengers a couple of years later in 2015. And again, as YouTube be- became a more legitimate kind of form of income, and the rise of the whole influencer culture, the whole Griffiths. And this creeps me out. I got to be honest. Griffiths, which is Ruby's maiden name, like her her whole family, they're the Griffiths. They all started YouTube channels. Ugh, which is just. It's so crazy and creepy to me. Well, and that's, I mean, if you think about that, how much content that we Oh my create, God, it's insane. Like it is, you don't even have to do investigative work at this point what? on these so people true. because they did it all on themselves. Oh my God. And as much as they might be lying to their YouTube channel or to their audience or whatever, they still have all of this it's a footage. Lot. Yep. And they were uploading. I don't know if there were any... If any of the siblings were uploading daily, which would be insane, but even if not, I think there were multiple that were uploading multiple times a week. So like you probably had a somebody from this family uploading every single day. Well, and even if you didn't, you probably had people, you probably had like two or three uploading at least three to five days a week. Well, like you're saying, like, right. Like it's just, it's insane to me. So just to call out because these when all the channels were all kind of live, I think some have been defunct. I I know at least her brother has. But um, at that time when all of them were out there, so even Ruby's parents were blogging. So Chad and Jennifer Griffiths, that was their channel. Eight Passengers, obviously Ruby and Kevin and their children. A Griffiths Life Vlogs, that's Ruby's brother Bo, his wife Emily and their children. Bonnie Holine, this is Ruby's sister, her husband Joel, and their children. The DeRue crew, Ruby's sister Julie, her husband Landon, and their children. And then, like I had said, the sister that started all of this, Ellie and Jared. So this was Ruby's youngest sister, her husband Jared, and their children. Ooh. So, I mean, yeah, just think about how many people this family is made up of. And how many different videos were being uploaded at any given time by this family. I mean, the Griffiths were taking over. So this is all just really creepy because at the Griffiths family functions and holidays, you could basically watch the event as an onlooker, as like an audience member from multiple filming angles by the different family channels. So you got grandpa in the corner filming (laughs) and then you got, you know, Joe Schmo over here filming. You got little Timmy in the corner saying, Hey dad. And then it shows up in like multiple vlogs or whatever at like different times. It's so weird. It's so weird. It's almost like security footage. If you really think about it. Yes, it is. That's a great point. Oh my God. That's a great point. And if you're really like into this family, into, you know, watching their lives, watching their vlogs, you could really like. So true. Oh my God. That's a great point. Like, like you could have one going on one screen, one going on another screen and be watching them all at the same time. Well, and that like the security and like, 
it's easy to find these. You don't want to, but like I know fans have showed up at these different addresses and like. Well, that's showing like the insides of the houses. We know the outside. Like you're seeing the inside from different angles. Like, well, and how unsafe is that? I mean, you're showing off all your goods. You're showing off, you know, how to get in. Probably, I mean, it's not the smartest to be Mm -mm. honest. No. So, yeah, you made the point that it's just unimaginable to be a child raised in this situation because not only is your life on display from literally multiple angles, but you're also part of it. You're part of what's capturing this information. You're documenting everything. And it must just send a weird message to the kids in this family. Like, stuff doesn't really count if you're not capturing it. You know, if it doesn't get videotaped and posted to YouTube, like – no one cares about it or it didn't really happen. The I mean, authenticity of yes. like living in the moment, like, oh, I didn't do that right. Let's reshoot that, like capture it again. Like, I'll try it again. Like, yeah, it really like cheapens the human experience yeah. in a weird way. So holidays specifically were always very highly filmed by all the different family channels. And there's even, you know, video of having this Griffiths family reunion yeah. every single summer and all the siblings would go it's and crazy. they would all film it. Like, could you crazy. imagine just like, especially two, like, I can only imagine going through those middle school years where it's just like, I don't even want to see myself in the mirror. No. Let alone myself from, from five different angles uploaded for millions of viewers. Like, oh, oh. yeah, it's nuts. And, To that point, I mean, these videos made a lot of money because people are fascinated and they're seeing things from all different perspectives, from all different angles, from, you know, all different just points of view. But then you got these children who are so highly exploited. They can't consent. They can't say no. Mm -hmm. And every single move is being filmed. So it's just a lot. It's rife with issues here. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. And it, it, it's interesting because I feel like this is kind of the cutting edge of like showcasing to the wider audience what could go wrong in this scenario. Yes. Like it, it just point. this family is just oh, it's so corrupt. It's awful. It's really awful. Well, yeah. And like this is just a whole separate layer to the whole vlogging or video blogging culture. And eight passengers really helped to spearhead they did. this movement into kind of vlog culture. And we're going to talk about a little bit later in more detail how child exploitation on YouTube is a new medium. And it's only at the very beginning of being regulated at this point. And it's just, it's very scary because obviously these children were exploited and the the purpose of the videos wasn't to exploit these children but it still served that purpose so imagine what somebody could do if their explicit purpose was to exploit children and to cause harm i mean forget it no that's a great point and like on the flip side of that too it's like wow it's great to be able to kind of be like an entrepreneur and like self-starter you can do this very little investment like get a camera you could even do it with your phone like whatever like that's great but the details of it when you get into it with these families especially like it is just it's not good it is really not good um so a little bit of background on ruby's channel so eight passengers this started in 2015 and it showcased the daily even sometimes very mundane life of the family and 
like we were saying, this was, um, I, I want to say she at one point was uploading like every other day or like Which is a ton. something crazy. And it was very much in real time too. I think at the very end, she might've like started filming ahead, uploading ahead. Um, but when it was like at the height of popularity, I want to say it was almost like a day to day kind of like film upload, film upload. And oh like, my gosh, it's, it's almost just... like up to date. Yes, know? yes. Very up to date, which not to even get into the whole like conspiracy, like fear factor, whatever of it. But like also if you're filming up to date and you're like, oh, Kevin's going away and we're going away. Right. Like, and there's no one in the house. Yeah. And, like, know, here's our codes. Right. And I think they realized that. And I think that was in part at the very end when they started uploading like a week later it at least was like, we're away. And it was like, oh, nope, we're back, you know, type of thing. But I think for a point there, they were uploading like moment by moment. Almost. Kind of yeah. Almost like real time, which is just. Well, and thank God they weren't like live streaming specifically. Oh, because God. Don't you just think about like the Kim Kardashian oh. thing where she was robbed in Paris. Oh, you know, because yes. her dumb ass was posting. Yeah. Here giant I am. Diamond, Look and what I'm I brought. staying at this hotel and yep. it's moment by moment. And then, surprise, surprise, a bunch of people really want the stuff that you're posting. <laughs> right, and they know where you are. and Yeah, and how to get to you. So, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. be a little bit smarter. So, I, I don't know. It's a very kind of cautionary tale of what not to do and how not to post on the internet so that people can't find where you are and how to get to you. Well, and then, again, we will come back to this, but also, like, the whole thing of their kids, too. Like, even day-to-day like I could only imagine in your week something's uploaded Tuesday let's say something happened Monday uploaded Tuesday you have to go to school the rest of the week how awful is that if it wasn't good and something your peers are gonna watch oh it's just awful so anyway though during this period it's actually kind of interesting if you were to look back on it even though it's eight passengers Kevin was still really focused on his career as a professor at BYU at this point, and he wasn't tenured, so he was really throwing himself in full force. Ruby was a stay-at-home mom, and she was very much – it's kind of weird to watch it, too, because, again, even though it's the eight passengers – she is like the primary passenger. She is like not <laughs> even a bus driver. Yeah. She is like taking up the whole seat. And I think that was part of the appeal, though. It was like seeing a mom, you know, really talking about just her day-to-day life, trying to portray like the good parts, you know, because obviously you're going to cut out the parts you don't think are, I don't know, as appealing, at least at this point. So she filmed her kids' day-to-day activities and all the while, and this is, I think really plays into it truthfully um, being kind of unabashed about incorporating the Mormon aspects of the family's lifestyle. So obviously Kevin worked at BYU, but that wasn't just kind of the extent of their religious fervor, which only increased over the years. They were very much so even from the beginning, like you were saying, like going to BYU kind of looking for that perfect Mormon husband and whatnot. Um, this was kind of always the ideal and the standard that Ruby kind of wanted to live up to. Actually, at end of the day, poor little sister Ellie was probably jealous because eight yeah. passengers ended up actually being the most popular of the whole, which again, this is so crazy to me. It's like the Griffiths channel. Like, which one? Are you watching Disney or Nickelodeon? Like, right. Eight passengers or Ellie and Jared. Oh, it's eight passengers. They're the most popular. Well, and I got to ask 
what is the like nomenclature about? Are did they call it eight passengers because they're passengers of the world? I, truly, like, that's a great point. <laughs> I literally don't know. They're if you look at their and it's well, it's actually gone now. Their channels and we'll get to that too when they took it down. They have a terrible graphic or had a terrible Ooh. graphic of them in like a kidnapper van essentially just oh, driving geez. by and it said like in comic sans like eight passengers and had bad stick figures of all the kids like oh in the car God. it's like those horrible stickers that you see on the back of some cars where it's, it's like our family yep. and, like, even got little fido down oh. there with a tail and it's a stick figure dog trust me like psychos they even at one point because of course they can't keep the pets and are terrible pet owners oh they had like it. a lizard and something or whatever and i guess they got whoever drew them the like terrible logo no offense at the beginning <laughs> to draw like a little lizard or something to like put on the side the lizard was sold the porcupine was sold and a porcupine then, yeah and then there was like oh on the on the on the van whoop, not anymore not anymore like <laughs> oh it's bad it's 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 a bad logo but like that's what's shocking too though like with this terrible like comic sans-esque logo they still were able to be like at the forefront of this family vlogging culture and like extremely popular isn't that nuts oh yeah my gosh. it's crazy well yeah and i guess at the height of their popularity what did they have 2.5 million subscribers yeah, and the lizard wasn't one of them <laughs> like poor thing <laughs> he oh. was not clicking like or subscribe mm -mm. And he no was he, not he was not ringing that bell no absolutely <laughs> not so ruby really hit this youtube blogging concept at the right time like we were talking about and she was able to monetize a ton of their lives and youtube started to become a platform where people could make a lucrative living and Ruby just like hit it at the exact it, right yeah. time, like in history when this started to become like a thing. Yeah. She got very, very lucky. And so you could really make like a decent living doing this. And Ruby, while she's filming her day-to-day -day life as a mom, ended up making millions. I mean, just she's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. I mean, a stay at home mom literally just filming like the mundane crap of her day to day yeah, like, life. Well, taking so-and-so to whatever practice, like making more than my professor husband who we went to grad school for. Yep. Literally <laughs> who we went to grad school <laughs> yeah. for to get our MRS degree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So YouTube uploads, basically there would be these different ads from the vlogs and these ads and paid sponsorships were amazing money makers oh my God. for Ruby. I mean, this is where they sneak it in. And that's why YouTube continues to be free. Because through the advertisements, they're able to you know, make enough money to pay for every person's subscription. And I don't know. Do you remember before or or when those ads started like popping up? And it was like. No, but it wasn't really? always he, like that. Well, that's what I mean. I remember when it started popping up and it was like, oh, what is this? Like, why is yes. this? Oh, my God. No. Oh, I totally remember that. I, yeah. And I remember being so frustrated with it and just realizing, oh, my gosh. And even Facebook, same thing. Oh, you know, yes. It was clean as a whistle before you just got to scroll through it was your friends and your friends only mm -hmm. but now everybody's trying to They've sell gotten you smart yeah they make really the money have. but yeah that's what keeps it free for all of these services so good old ruby would partner with different companies and they were mom-centric companies so we're looking at clorox we're looking at you know cleaning products we're looking at children's products all sorts of 
mom how many are out there like how many so many right and so then she was really smart she would monetize it by creating an instagram post promoting certain products which oh my god i fall for that stuff hook line and sinker well i think that's really kind of the crux of it too is like she hit it at youtube but it's also the time of those like cross-platform like I, I, I have no idea how those agreements are structured, but, no. like, I can only imagine that, like, even if you promote it in your video, then you probably link the video in Instagram. Like, you oh, know yeah, what I mean? it's probably, it's, like, like cross-pollination. Yeah, and, it's got to be crazy. Well, and that's the thing, too. I mean, you're so right that she kind of hit both things at the exact right time, both the vlogging idea and the influencer idea, because – influencing and getting people to buy things by showing a normal average person using the product Mm -hmm. wasn't really a thing i mean we had advertisements with actors who looked like normal people but you know we never had just a mom talking about i like to use this brand of wipe because they clean my house the best and you see me use them every day Well, i was just gonna say like you've seen this person like oh i saw you like dropping off so and so earlier this week and i watched you last week doing whatever and then now you're cleaning the counters like you feel like you know them and you're yeah. just like mundane routine you're kind of following along like and that's it's brilliant yeah, it's, yeah exactly like you are going to be more likely to trust the word exactly. of somebody who you feel like you know you feel like you've been in their home you've seen what their life looks like you're going to trust that person a lot more than a paid actor on some television ad yep so it's really smart and it's no wonder that the influencer game has just gone nuts in recent years and so a brand like Clorox for example could pay Ruby to promote a product on her platform it would reach her target audience so moms in this case through her different followers and then in this case Clorox would have to pay a lot less than it would if they wanted to create a whole commercial with paid actors because they're tapping into this influencer, like we said, who already has the attention of their target audience. They don't have to create a whole fake world where a fake person is using the product. There's somebody doing it for you. And it's great. Just incorporate it. Yep. And then the influencer, Ruby in this case, does the work of creating the ad and Clorox has the final sign-off on the content. So they still get the ability to regulate the content. They right. still get to, you know, regulate the message that the consumers are receiving. And it's really just a win-win because then Ruby gets a fat paycheck at the end. Exactly. I mean, it's smart on both ends, but like, oh, what a... At what cost? Exactly. So on her channel, Ruby would often showcase her parenting. And at the very beginning, nothing was considered too extreme but you know she would be considered a stereotypically strict mormon parent she and kevin and so they showcased that but with everything else it was kind of like the typical american family and even though their parenting style was strict well it sounds like i mean even though they were strict they were never extreme to the point where people were put off by it like it sounds like the strictness was sort of rolled into that Mormon idealism and those Mormon family values. And, you know, it was never viewed as like, ooh, that's really extreme or that's really harmful. It was more, okay, like that's their way of life and they're strict, but it's because that's what Mormons do. That's the Mormon way is to be strict with your children. Nope. I think that's 
like the perfect way to kind of put it is like they're good parents. They care. They're strict because they care. And that's kind of like what they were brought up with, the kind of parenting they were brought up with. So the interesting thing, though, is as the channel went on, you could always kind of tell there was something under the surface that was not fully seen on camera. Um, so, for example, the family was packing for a trip and her fourth child, who was maybe seven or eight at the time, was and this is this like, ooh, I don't know. Watching it back is just kind of like eerie and extremely concerning now. Um, but her child, who was probably seven or eight at the time, was really anxious about packing her own backpack for the trip. And, of course, Ruby pulls out the camera and Ugh. is filming this, the poor little girl. She breaks down in tears, like, has her little backpack, her sister's in the back. And, oh, my God, it's awful to watch. She was very afraid to tell her mom, and this is so heartbreaking, that she had packed her teddy bear. Which, her- like, a seven-year-old yeah. ashamed of packing a little toy? Right. Like, what's the problem here? Yeah, yeah. she was... Like, concerned her mom would be very mad that she had packed it and wanted to bring it on the trip. I assume, like, I don't know, maybe her mom, maybe Ruby had said, like, go pack your stuff and, like, bring your clothes or, like, whatever. Don't pack anything that you don't need. I don't know. Something like that. And probably her previous parenting, like, based on the previous parenting, this girl was probably like, oh, she said don't bring anything else. I'm going to get in trouble for bringing this teddy bear. So Ruby behind the camera, and I think it's interesting because I think it also affects kind of how Ruby reacts. So it almost makes you think like, oh, God, if the camera wasn't there, how would she really react? Right. So she's behind the camera and she kind of acted all like, oh, honey, I wouldn't be mad. Why would you why would you be worried about telling me that? But just like seeing it's just so abnormal for a child to be concerned about like i want to bring my teddy bear and i'm gonna like burst into tears yeah because i don't want my mom to find out yeah like it just makes you wonder like what else is going on that this is a big deal exactly so ruby also spoke about different snippets of her parenting before she started vlogging and Both of the examples mentioned were when she had five kids only. I know. So much easier. Shocking. And they were all probably under the age of about eight. Oh, my God. Which is crazy. Which is nuts. And she had a newborn, RF, and a toddler, JF. So in the first example, she said RF had some developmental delays with walking and different things of that nature. And... She gave a little bit of background, and this is just a summary that we got from Reddit. She said, RF, as an infant, broke his femur when he was a baby. Ruby waited one week before taking him into the ER to get checked out. She claims he, quote, rolled off the couch. The femur is the strongest bone in the body and the hardest to break. And this occurred at an age when RF's bones would still be soft and slightly flexible, or harder to break, because if you think flexible, it means less brittle. Well, and you think of a baby, like they always say they they're very sturdy. Yeah, and they, they bounce. Yeah. It would take a tremendous amount of force from just God. rolling off the couch to break an infant's femur. I and mean, this is just not, a huge red flag. But then to not notice it for like a week? Yeah, that's actually really scary. And how do you wait a week? I mean, I so a femur is, yeah, a femur is a thick 
bone. It is really hard to break Ugh. a femur. You've got to be in a car accident God. or have a Major large trauma. amount of force yeah, to yeah. the bone in order to break it. Especially, I mean, and as a baby, it just it just doesn't yeah. check out. So second example, so we were saying we, these kind of relate to RF and JF. So JF was a toddler and she was still in diapers at the time. And Ruby said that one day she realized that JF stunk. Stank. Stunk. <laughs> Stink. Stank. Stunk. And was still in dirty clothes. She was wondering why she smelled, then realized she hadn't changed JF's clothes in days. That's disgusting. Yep. I don't think she mentioned how long, but I could, like, a diaper alone, like, clothes, well, and a that's, diaper alone, like. I mean, and that alone is not something that you just suddenly realize. Like, you know that you have to change a right? baby's diaper. Or you're just a neglectful mother. A, like, a neglect, and, like, that's bordering on abusive already. Yes. Like, it's extreme neglect to the point where sitting in a filthy diaper Ugh. That is nauseating. Yeah. And, and and again, these are the things that she admits to and talks about. Because it's not like she's filming these real time. These are things she's freely rec- admitting, recounting from her past and just like, oh, my God, how, I can't believe it. Like, oh, it's not a funny mom story. That's like a or even something anybody should story. admit. Like, I I'm surprised that people didn't immediately kind of start calling mm. cps on her yeah. at that point yeah just because how do you if this is what we're seeing at the forefront and this is what she's freely admitting to millions of people yeah. then what is happening behind the scenes yep yep so she said her kind of justification for it was she was which like yes it's understandable but like all of these are just like oh um she was overwhelmed with the new baby, RF, and again, she had the five children under eight years old, and she had just forgotten about JF and changing her clothes, changing her diaper, taking care of her, essentially. At all, yeah. Yeah. Ugh, which is shocking. So, really, all this evidence is just preliminary evidence to show the fact that Ruby is really not somebody who should have ever had children, and... It's very clear, like we said, that deep down she probably never wanted them. And she probably now at this point with six of them, oh my God. you know, is just sort of stuck in her life. And she made her choices and now she's forced to just remain this mother of six children. But again, she probably never should have had them. She probably never wanted to have them deep down. But the religion just puts childbearing so up high oh on the God. list and as a woman it's pretty much your only worth exactly so ruby was really just fulfilling her duty she was doing what she thought would make her a good mormon and what's interesting is and we'll get more into it next time she also suffered multiple miscarriages and i think likely she would have had 11 children total had those miscarriages not happened and we don't know this, but there's a possibility, a strong possibility, that postpartum depression was an issue in her life that she just didn't deal with. A lot like the dirty diaper that, oh. you know, starts to stink after you don't deal with mm-hmm. it. Likely just given all of these examples and the other examples that we'll give next time, it just 
rings very true for a mother with postpartum depression and the accompanying issues where caretaking for your children just gets put on the back burner because you're just in such a state of depression and an altered state really yeah you're no state to be like a a mother a full mother to your children when like you yourself have not recovered and I can only imagine like 11 children total you have six of them here and like I can only imagine how quickly in secession like that would have happened and I'm sure she probably didn't get the mental help she needed she's still trying to raise six very young children her husband's away like of course she's going to struggle with mental illness um it, it it's a sad story but I don't know it it I think it's a story that needs to be explored and I I think these couple episodes that we're going to go into will really shed a lot of light on kind of this whole family vlogging culture and hopefully promote some change in the whole industry. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Betsy Boss Podcast. If you'd like to find us online, we're on Facebook at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Instagram at Betsy Boss Podcast, on Twitter at Betsy Boss Pod, and our email is BetsyBossPodcast at gmail.com. Also, Betsy Boss is now on both iTunes and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and comment. Thanks again for listening. (laughs) 